Hey, it's Woj, and I wanted to tell you about our newest podcast, Swagoo and Perk, led by its namesake hosts, former NFL veteran and analyst Marcus Spears, he's Swagoo, of course, and NBA champion and ESPN NBA analyst Kendrick Perkins, of course, he's Perk. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Swagoo and Perk will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives with can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in New York at uh, kind of one of these windowless conference rooms (laughs) at an undisclosed hotel here in the city with John Collins of the defending, well, Defending Eastern Conference finalist, uh, right? I don't right? Finalist. Atlanta. We've got a couple windows, by the way. We've got we've got we've got two behind you. You know what? We do have windows behind yeah, us. Yeah, All okay. right. We're right. we not in the dungeon, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here in New York, you guys have in a lot of you're going to be here a lot. Uh, I think you hope you're going to yeah. be here a lot in the postseason too. You guys got the Nets tomorrow night we know you're here christmas day because mm-hmm. you yep. got like this villain on your team now right trey young who they want in new york he loves it man he on loves christmas it. but there's a whole listen after that playoff series with new york last year john like do you land in new york and i know you're not playing them tonight but you're in manhattan mm. like is that just sort of a part of this team's identity now of like the knicks is a thing now for people in terms of us and the knicks playing each other yeah but just like the hawks i think you announced yourselves, I thought, in that series. People didn't know how seriously to take your team, right? I agree. You're never yeah. on national TV. Nobody, yeah, Trey's good. What else do they got? And right. that series announced the Hawks as we're here and we're going to be around. No, yeah, I definitely feel like that was that was a marker to, to let people know to take us seriously. You know, uh, we, uh, we've stockpiled a lot of young talent. As you said, we've shown flashes of, of – you know, potential greatness and, you know, great chemistry and all types of, you know, great, great future aspirations. And you could just see it written all over our team. But uh, winning that series, as you said, let people know we were serious uh, about trying to win games. So you, you say that about stockpiling young talent and it started with you. Right. Yeah. It started in your draft. Travis Schlenk comes into Atlanta from Golden State. Mm hmm takes you at 19. And then in the successive drafts after all of a sudden it's. It's Trey Young, it's Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter, and you trade for Clint Capella. And all of a sudden, this is a group that, I mean, we were talking about this last week, and I know you don't want to talk about this with your teammates. Like, you know, Cam Reddish, like, (laughs) maybe he's not a starter on this team. He's played great for you. You can't pay everybody. You got to the point now where you can't pay every single guy and you have more good young players than maybe fit long term. That that doesn't happen much in this league. Yeah, it is sort of a rare occurrence to have you know m- most of the young talent turn out and and pan out right. So I guess that's a credit to you know the organization firsthand. But as you said, it also creates a little bit of a, a obstacle right to to be able to get all these young guys minutes and opportunity to grow and play. But uh, as well as it being you know. A, you know, obstacle. It's also opportunity for guys to prove themselves, right? And prove to uh, coach, you know, to the team um, what they can provide for 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 our team and provide to win the game. So um, that's just the NBA. You know, it's not a, a forgiving league, or it's not a league that's going to give you any leeway. You know, I know Travis is a guy that drafts best available talent. So you know, it's uh, 
it's always going to be a, a struggle to maintain something in this league because there's so much, so much going on uh, so fast. John, this offseason, five years, $125 million on your extension. Amen. Trey Young does his. Could be worth up to $200 million. Kevin Herter just got his done a couple of weeks ago. Amen. Clint Capella extended amen, amen to all a couple of years, right? Yes, sir. A lot of organizations will tell you now it gets hard because roles – you know, guys, some players play differently playing for a contract. And when they get there's a lot of dynamic that goes into sort of that upward trajectory of a team. Did it feel any different coming back this year when you look around and everybody got extensions and, you know, those things all happen? Your coach, Nate McMillan, goes from interim coach to a long term deal. Does it feel any different? Is there anything different you've got to work through or just feel like you picked right up? In terms of uh, the team aspect and, you know, personal, you know, I'd say locker room, right, or any anything off the court, I, I don't feel nothing, anything has changed too much besides a little banner here and there about, you know, nudge, a good nudge here and there about congrats. You know how you know how it is in the NBA about, you know, just congratulating um, people on changing their family's lives forever. Uh, but, you know, be that as it may, on the court more so I feel like is where – uh, steps need to be taken in of, of us understanding that we were just in the Eastern Conference Finals and we're just on national television, people were just watching us, and now we become one of the teams that, as you said, become one of the young developing teams and one of the uh, teams in contention for, for that Larry O'Brien trophy. So I feel like it's the mindset change that I feel like we're, we're slowly you know, taking that, I can, that that's more being felt and uh, that, that pressure for us to win. I feel like we, we all want to uh, fulfill that need to win here. When this team went into the playoffs last year, John, and you knew you're coming into New York and there was just so much attention on the Knicks, you know, rightly Always so. Always attention they, on the Knicks. Right, the attention on the Knicks. They had been out of the playoffs. Listen, it was a good, hardworking team that, you know, got a fourth seed in the East, and you were just, like, there to be an afterthought. Like, how many games is it going to take for the Knicks just to put yeah. the Hawks away? What did, what did that group feel like? Because what – as I kind of said earlier, you announced yourselves to this league. Did it feel like you were about to do that when you came in, or did you not know what to expect in a playoffs? And the Gardens, uh, that place was rocking going in there. We knew what to expect in terms of the pressure being tur turned up. Um, I feel like we understood that you know we were going to turn up the turn up our you know intensity, but we just we knew the Garden, as you said, being in New York and uh, our first series. There's just a lot riding on that, but. I don't feel like we let any of that necessarily get in the way of what we understood we needed to do. Um, as you said, I feel like when when everybody overlooks you, there's there's sort of a confidence that you get um, in saying like you know if we're the underdogs and we can't lose and there's no there's you know there's no losing for us either way, right? But we we weren't trying to be the underdogs regardless. So um, I feel like it just all worked out in our benefit, and you, you know obviously got to give credit to to Trey, amazing you know, series in New York and uh, really pushed us, pushed us over the top. So you have, you know, a team fulfilling your duties and a guy playing like that. It's hard to, hard to say a lot. You guys hadn't really been on national TV mm -mm. much. Nope. Was four, it? four games. It was like four games last year until like 20-something yeah. this year, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a huge jump. And then, of course, in the playoffs, you're on every night. Did it feel as much even in your own marketplace that people were rediscovering that the Hawks are here, the Hawks are a fun team to watch, that before you're going to, like, sell the country on who we are, mm -hmm. that you kind of had to do that in your city. Definitely. We, we definitely um, woke up the, the Atlanta, uh, Atlanta fan base again. I feel like, you know, 
when I go out in the city and I have, you know, genuine people come up to me and tell me, hey, man, you know, uh, I've been an Atlanta fan, Atlanta Hawks fan for years, and you guys made it fun for us to watch. You, you make, it, make it exciting for us to come to games and just to, to cheer for you guys. And the appreciation that I get from fans um, that I, I got recently, I, I've never gotten in my you know previous four years here in Atlanta. So if that gives you any insight as to how fans are feeling, you know, I go to gas stations or grocery stores and fans are genuine in their love and, and I can see the glisten in their eyes and that we're bringing joy to their TV screens to, you know, when they come to the games. And, and that means a lot that, you know, helps me, um, you know, that's part of the reason why I give back to the community, you know, and I, and I play with the way I do. So always good for me personally, you know. I mean, football is, I mean, listen, the Falcons and college football, the South, mm-hmm. Hawk, Braves are in the World Series. Like, the NBA's always been, there have been good teams in Atlanta. There's been great teams. Dominique Wilkins' years. Of course. You know, there was, I mean, I remember covering earlier in my career that Knicks-Hawks series in Atlanta with uh, Dikembe, uh-huh. Steve Smith. And I remember going in that arena and – it felt like there were more Knicks fans. I remember empty seats, and I remember a lot of Knicks fans. And that was a, a very good regular season Hawks team. That's not the case anymore. Your place is hard to play in again. Yeah, you know, and that's a credit to Tony uh, and what he's came in and tried to do with the arena and uh, the, the fan base. How um, You know, it's not only have we done – made an effort on the court to try to get the fans in there but you know there's also been an effort off the court to uh, increase you know the um, production value and entertainment value in in the arena to allow fans to come and um, want to be in the arena want to have fun want to watch us um, and I feel like that has a big part to do with a lot of it um, you know having that fortress at home uh, can really change um, the outlook of a franchise and especially for us as players someplace we can come home and, and win games at. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Getting drafted into that Atlanta team four years ago, you came in at a time, your rookie year was like the end of something. Like, right. Right. Bud's You're run so was ending. Right. You had like a bunch of expiring contracts. You were like the you were like the new guy coming in and you could kind of sense change was coming. Right. I mean, how dramatically different what you walked into in Atlanta, what that was like as a rookie trying to figure out your place and how do I fit here? How do I make an impact in this league? And and on a team where I'm not sure there was a lot of like maybe mentorship, a lot of guys maybe kind of were playing for contracts that year. You know, Vince was Vince. He was always going to be great, right? But what, what was that rookie year like? It was incredible, man, just the amount of faces that I saw enter and re-enter uh, my uh, locker room and exit in the amount of time was, you know, uh, really fascinating, you know, because, you know, Coach Bud, as you said, was sort of at the end of his tenure with the Hawks. And, um, you know, our, our roster was, you know, a, a made up of a bunch of, like you said, expiring contracts. So, 
the entire year, we just had a multitude of guys just in and out. So it, it really woke me up to the business side of the league and understanding of, you know, how much I can bond with somebody and, and become, you know, you know, develop a relationship with that person to, to how quickly they can be gone. Um, and that business side of it really woke me up and it gave me a true taste of, of what it mean, meant to be in the league and also um, made me tighten up my work ethic to understand that I can be gone just like that as well. So um, I definitely felt like it was eye-opening, but uh, it helped in the long run for sure. John, is there a lot of – when guys are coming and going like that, there's really not a sense of team. It's just right. guys playing. Is there a lot of cynicism in the locker room? Is it like do you have to fight? There's a lot of guys who are cynical, right? And it's not – I don't know. It's not like maybe what it felt like at Wake Forest, right? No, nowhere near because, you know, it's a business at this point when you're in the league, right? And, you know – when you're when, when I'm at Wake, everybody's in the same position, right? You know, everybody's going to class together. Everybody has dining hall. You know, school we bus and we we're rooming together. You know, this is the big leagues. You know, guys are getting paid millions of dollars, big money contracts on and off the court for for uh, tons of things. You know, egos and you know just life, the way people live their life. Uh, this league is it's 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 one of a kind. It really is. And you know, to just to see that and to see you know different lives and to just experience. What I did at a young age, just as I said, opened my eyes up to what the NBA and the business of people, um, not only just basketball, but the business of people and, and how your your mentality and how you treat people in the organization can affect what, what you know your future becomes. Do you remember one or two moments maybe early on where you go, wow, that's different. I, I've not seen that before. Or just sort of like you go, okay, this is a different business than I even – and especially, like you said, the team you walked into, which there was a lot of flux. Yeah, as I said, just to, to harp on it, uh, one day, literally five guys on the team my rookie year, I can't remember if it was my first or my second year, but we had five guys, not G League guys or two-way guys, five guys that had contracts all leave, and five new guys came into the locker room. And that happened three times. Um, that's that the entire year. Three times five guys entered and left. And I've, I still haven't seen that to, to this day. Um, it, was, it was just incredible to see, like, as I said, the turnover uh, and to see the power that, you know, NBA and organizations have to move players in, in situations like that because, you know, normally that would never happen. Um, but in rebuilding situations, I think you tend to see a lot of stuff that wouldn't necessarily be normal and right. in regular, you know, organizations just trying to compete. You know, it's 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 a weird thing to see as well as, you know, not playing as much as I should have, right? And and now looking back on it, it's like we were saying, it's like, well, why just, you know, just so many questions right. bubble and, up and, to and the it, and, it, and it becomes a thing where, especially where, you know, the Hawks were, which was we're going to deal players, we're going to get picks, we're going to create cap space, where the veterans we have that have use to somebody, they're probably going to move them somewhere to see what we can get for them. But they sort of a little bit, they become contract pieces, right? They become, that's a salary we need to move. And it dehumanizes people, right? It, I wouldn't say it dehumanizes, but I definitely feel like it, it puts perspective on what it means to be a player and mm -hmm. what it means to have a high salary. You know, people just think, you know, you have a bunch of money and you're living the life. Well, you know, obviously all the things that come together with just being a regular professional, but now then you, you're, as you said, your contract can now become a business tool to not only use, be used for the organization, but your skill, your talent level has nothing to do with 
what the team might, you know, think is best for the organization. And that's just things you just have to start understanding about the business side of it and to really understand that as a player, you just have to maximize your time and your effort, you know, and your availability to just get the most out of what you can because it's hard to be consistent in anything in this league, as I said before. Did did that introduction to the NBA and seeing maybe like very closely seeing the business part of it and, and, and how you describe it and sort of just the way it forms your thinking about how the league works. Do you think that impacted how you viewed your own extension talks? You hung in there in a way that, you know, for people, you're in line for your rookie extension. So this year, you know, Trey did his max right off the bat. Uh, Kevin Herter just got his done um, right at the deadline. And, you know, go through some of your other young players. You got to your rookie deadline, to your, the deadline for your rookie extension last year. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm giving away a lot to say, you know, you've got an offer in the $100 million range. And th- uh, the, the year before? The year before. No. If I, if, yeah. You go from rookie extension to then your restricted free agency this year is when you did the five years, 125. Yeah, I got signed that this past summer. Right. So I got, I'm, you know, not to go into all the details, but yeah. I got offered another contract, not a, not worth nearly as much as $125 million, but it was another. another it, it was deal. less than that, that you, tr- which was still, but to have the. You still got to have some guts to say no. It takes some guts to walk away. You hadn't been an all-star yet. You hadn't been to the playoffs yet. You right. don't, like, there's uncertainty, right? You go, it's life-changing money regardless. And teams typically bank on that, that will get them near the deadline and we'll get them to take it. In many cases, they do. And maybe they thought that with you. You did not. You held, and you said, nope, well, let's let's go back at this next year. Yeah, you know, I you know, I felt the way I felt, just to be frank. And, you know, in, in my in my eyes, I felt like the way I take care of me, you know, knock on wood, uh, the way I take care of my body, the way I play, the, the way I give what I give to the organization, I felt there was no, like, scared there's nothing about me in that moment that was scared to make that decision and uh, that was really it I, I i was you know spent many a days and nights thinking about it of course you know it's just not something i was just like oh, nah, no i don't want you know it, it wasn't like that you know i obviously took months on you know some time to think about it and obviously as you said make my decision but for me feeling the way i felt i just felt like there was no way i could live with myself not seeing the other op- other side of the opportunity that I have and I took that you know and I just bet on myself in in the most uh you know cheesy of way right in the most generic way I, I bet on myself but I feel like I, I had that feeling the confidence to do it and when I when I feel my soul telling me to to wait or to not do something or to do something I listen you know and um, that was really it you were not a young player who was sure any of this was going to happen oh, a lot no. of guys you play with were I mean, I can go through your roster, just the guys you play with or guys you were drafted with who were, you know, top 20, top 30, top 50 national guys who were in all the mock drafts high. You know, you if you don't get to the NBA Players Association camp as a going into senior year, you may not get offers in the ACC from Wake Forest, Miami, right? Before that, you were getting recruited by who? Oh, man. Um yeah, so, you know, a lot of people think, I don't know if people know that, I was, you know, definitely not a highly recruited, highly touted kid at all. Um, you know, University of San Francisco and Rex Walters, so <laughs> shouts out to Coach Rex. He <laughs> recruited the heck out of me um, back in back in high school. Um, who's coach? Coach over at Maryland, 
um, Coach Turgeon. Mm-hmm. Coach Turgeon recruited the heck out of me, University of Maryland. Well, that's uh, a big time place. Though. Yeah, I, I had I had a couple. I had some big time schools knocking. I just didn't have a University of Miami coach. Um, Larinaga. Coach Larinaga. Yeah. Um, those are those are my you know schools that I was really you know looking at. But you know you know I had UNCG, Florida Gulf Coast, UCF. You know all the Florida schools and you know some low D twos. Who thought and, like you can tell when they think they have a chance. Right, they're recruiting you because they think they have a chance. Yes. They're not wasting their time. Yes. They thought they had a chance with they, you. They thought they had a chance because you know I felt like not to see, you know in the most humble way I feel like they saw a diamond in the rough. Right, you know a hometown kid, not a lot of recruitment, not a lot of hype, and you know you know whatever they feel like they can you know put me on a Division One level, and if I can produce for that organization for that school. You know, it's it's wins for everybody. And as you said, I had all of the Florida schools except for the University of Florida. Coach Coach Billy, Coach Billy yeah. never gave me this, gave me that shout. Um, I would have committed. And he would have been, and he would have been in Oklahoma City anyway. So right, right, right. So yeah. right, so it all it all works out, right, Woj? <laughs> right, it all works out. I wonder too, coming from a military family. And you, you move around a little bit. There's a different, I've always found, there's a different confidence about kids who grow up that because they, sometimes you move around. I remember the first recruitment I ever covered as a college reporter was Ray Allen Ray, going Ray. to UConn. I was covering UConn and Ray was in Dalzell, South Carolina and had lived all over. He had lived in Europe. He had lived here. Yep. And he just had such great confidence belief that he could handle change he could handle uncertainty um precisely and it feels like it's similar to how you viewed things coming out precisely yeah um that that's a big part of why i feel the way i feel is that you know living with a single mom you know traveling literally around the world not having a hometown or not having you know i don't have any you know long-time friends or childhood friends or childhood anything you know my childhood is you know bits and parts of different places and um, I feel like that's really allowed me to blossom as a person um, not only you know mentally and, and, and personally but in, in, in vocally and why I'm such a you know, I feel like I'm such a natural born leader as I, people always continue to tell me and, and let me know why I'm able to lead so well in the court it's because of being you know dropped in one place and pulled and having to readjust in another place at such a young age and, and, and having to do it so frequently um, prepared me for now because this is this is the NBA being dropped in different places and and playing and, and having to be locked in and having to stay in hotel rooms and small small places and travel and you know the NBA in in terms of travel mirrors military life and I feel like that really mentally like allowed me to adjust a lot easier than I feel like people would ever give me credit for but not knowing yeah and then all of a sudden you sort of have a different stability four years at wake two years just two, two years two years at wake but still enough two years is a way it's, it's a way different experience than a one and done but which which right. a lot of people wouldn't think you know but one one and done's don't really go to school yeah two, two years at wake and i should say four years now in atlanta yeah this be my fifth going this, on my fifth this now. is this, you're starting your fifth year so for you like all of a sudden there was more you start to feel some roots yeah right it's been totally different the for a small example, just me going out in the city, just going to grab some milk and, or going to, going to do anything. I'm getting recognized in the car now. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see the, the people that, um, you know, were showing me love when I was still the, 
you know, the rookie in Atlanta and still the kid that, you know, people didn't really know or just think was just another guy that was just going to come and go on the team. Um, see all those people still have that same, you know, look in their eye and passion for me to watch me continue to grow and play and to see the community and to keep those thanks from the people that I helped in the city of Atlanta um, and to have them support me. Uh, that keeps me that keeps me going, man. You know, I'm a simple dude, but um, that that's real. You know, that's genuine love, and uh, that's something that I, I can appreciate and, and, and want to do more of. I know one thing, John, that's been important to you is – you know, obviously with the military background and having grown up in it, that where you can impact people in the military, whether it's coming to games, I know you like, you'll buy suits for yeah. people coming out. Like that's been a place you've invested yeah. right around Atlanta. And I think even beyond, mm -hmm. no, it's, it's been a place I've invested because as I said, it's genuine, you know, um, I try to, you know, I try to be as genuine as I can in the right places, and I feel like you know supporting the military with the with the platform that the NBA um, gives me as well, and always is supporting me, uh, you know, with with any military activity I do. Um, but it hits home because my mom is a veteran, you know. Um, not to say I have the best relationship with my dad, but my dad is a Navy veteran as well, 22 years in the Navy. Um, so, you know. Both sides are, are military, so I, I really understand what veterans go through. I've seen it. You know, I'm not a veteran myself, but I, I have as much visual, you know, confirmation as to what it means to be in serve for this country. So, um, you know, that's the least I can do and, and to always have my mom right next to me as as a living testimony to to what it means to be in serve the country. So it's, you know, it's an honor, man, honestly. The other thing, John, too, you like Tim Duncan, right? You swam. Oh, yeah. It's the only other big guy I can think of. I you you were a swimmer. Love swimming. I used to be a lifeguard for a little bit. Um, I always love to say that because I just feel like it's fun to let people know that <laughs> I'm a big, a big lifeguard, big 6'10 lifeguard. Come to save if you need it. But my mom is – her family's from the Virgin Islands. It's, it's from Tim. Tim is. You know, my mom knows you know, a bunch of their families and stuff. I met Tim. I don't think we're – not too personal, but right. enough, um, enough connections are there. To where I feel like you know the right the right stuff is happening, um, and of course I went to Wake Forest as well. Uh, all that good stuff, you know, eventually plays out, and it's like, oh wow, you know, your mom and all the family from Wake, and you go to Wake, and all that good stuff. So, love Island Boy, love to swim. It feels like it, six eleven, however tall you were growing up, you go six nine, six ten, six eleven. Mm -hmm. That there's a competitive advantage to like if you decide we're not seeing seven foot swimmers, but it feels like. There might be a competitive advantage if you decided to – basketball pays better than swimming, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it definitely pays better than Olympic swimmers. <laughs> Even if I am winning a couple gold medals, still feel like the NBA is a little bit better, a <laughs> little better route. But definitely say if I put my, all my time and effort as I did on the court into the water, I'd say I got – I have some, some pretty elite swimming skills right now. Um, but I just – you know, that's the same way with basketball. I love swimming. So, you know, it's, it's the same energy that would go into to swimming. John, you think about those – playoffs last year and just typically a team who's not been in the postseason who's a young team you sort of get in the playoffs and you lose the first round and then next year maybe you lose the first again and then you win around and there's like this progression it doesn't usually happen the way it did for you guys where all of a sudden you're on the cusp of the NBA finals you're a couple wins away when you think back to how much you guys packed how much experience really tough situations that you don't really people can tell you about them all day until you go through them right that 
there was more, to me it seemed like there was so much growth in that window that you put two or three years worth into one postseason. No, it, that, was, that was more so the, the most exciting part or the most gratifying part after the playoffs was over is that we got that taste. We, we went through a regular season, really probably one of the toughest regular seasons ever with all the protocols and all different types and no fans and to fans and to full-packed arenas in the, in the playoffs. We went from a week, a week ago with no fans to whole three months of two, what, a month and a half of every soul, every arena we went to was sold out from empty arenas to sold out again. It's the craziest stuff. It, you know right? I mean? it was like that first weekend, somebody turned a faucet on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It went from... From and nothing, all of a sudden, yeah. you walk in the garden and you're going like, "Yeah, we just right? we just went, we just played 80 games with no fans, fans on TV and empty arenas, and now, like you said, we now we're walking into the garden, packed garden. Fans are hungry. Fans haven't seen bass. Fans haven't been inside. You got dudes spitting on Trey, yeah. saying "F Trey" and all different types of stuff, man. So, as you said, I just felt like the the dynamic of what we did was was not only impressive because one, we were the true underdog, but I feel like, as I said before, as a team, we, we didn't plan on losing. Or there was right. no, like, oh, let's just come in here and mosey on in. We were locked in. We wanted, we wanted whatever, whatever the moment had for us. We wanted to, to accept it. And I feel like that's also part of the reason why we won is because we just weren't scared. We just went into it head on. One other thing, John, you were the inaugural winner of the Seku Smith Award, which oh, goes yes. to being – cooperative with the media and i can't think of a greater honor how honorable you, you you like you were in atlanta you got to know seku because any player who played for the hawks knew seku like he was synonymous with there was a time seku was more synonymous with atlanta than some like the players are coming in and out but you knew seku and to me that's awesome i i think that's uh i i know you you probably have that plaque proudly uh i oh, miss yeah. him it's it's, 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 in the, it's in the it's in the glass case right now yeah yeah yeah, he was uh, – uh, I imagine when you get to Atlanta, like that's a guy you get to know around. He was a national guy by the time you got to the NBA, but he had been, you know, Atlanta Journal and then NBA TV and NBA.com, and then he became, you know, one of the – he's one of the legends of this business. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, first off, you know, honored and blessed to receive the award. But, you know, coming in as a, as a young kid, you – you know, sometimes, you know, you meet people, you know what they've done, but you don't understand the impact it really has, you know, as you're saying, um, on people or just on the community, on the Atlanta Hawks. So it, it was something that I, was, I, you know, almost figured out too late, but I'm still being able to honor him in this way. Now it gives me some sort of solace to, to sort yeah. of, you know, gratify, you know, and, and personify what he lived. So, that you know, that's enough. Hopefully I can double back and win it again this year. Absolutely. Uh but, John, thank you for taking time out back here in Brooklyn tomorrow night, see that Nets team. And like I said, I think you're going to be – you guys are going to be in New York a lot. Regular season and, and postseason, there's probably a couple teams for you to, to, to probably have to come through up here. Yeah, you know, funny, before we get out of here, we, we were one we were KD's size 16 away from having a double New York series <laughs> uh, last postseason. So, yep. we're, yeah, we're planning on actually being here again. So, we'll, um, we'll be ready. All right. Appreciate you. John Collins. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, and listen, this is a team now, is, as we talked about, John, you guys are a force not just in the East, but throughout the league. People got to deal with Atlanta right now. Yeah, we're ready. As I said, we're, we're young and hungry. Obviously, um, you know, as I said, we're still young, 
uh, but we're hungry. And, you know, we have we've had some experiences, and you know, as I said, we're not scared of anything. We're just ready for the next step. So uh, we appreciate you for. Uh, from the Hawks, man. We appreciate you, Woj, as always, for uh, giving all, all the good uh, insights, man. Dropping them bombs on us. All right. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Always. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get the podcast. Be sure to also listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective, hosted by Brian Windhorst, and of course, the Adam Schefter podcast, hosted by Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.